Where the silence, the moment here and now, and we reflect the future is about one week, there's the end of the pansa, the vasa, the determination to spend these three months, past three months together in meditation. This is tradition. So just to put tradition in its proper perspective, these are forms, arbitrary forms that we use. <clears throat> Conventions. And so this particular convention we, we inherited from the Theravada school of Buddhism from Thailand, from the way Lung Pa Cha conducted the three-month Pansa period. And uh, so conventions are impermanent, uh, unsatisfactory and not self. <clears throat> just like anything else, just like our language, like all conditions, like all sankharas. So when we practice meditation, we usually, beginners, start with anapanasati, mindfulness of the breath. Something to do here and now that we generally don't notice our own normal breathing, natural breathing, uh, unless it becomes difficult. For a shorter breath, or we have some kind of asthmatic problem, then we become aware of the breath only to find it, wishing it would return to normal. Once it's normal, we, we tend not to pay any attention to it. So the idea of anapanasati is to bring your attention to something that is vital to the human form for its existence in the present moment. <clears throat> so when we stop breathing, we die. When the heart stops, the body stops breathing, and we consider that death. So one thing I found in my own experience is that <clears throat> there's so many different views or techniques regarding mindfulness of the breath. So many opinions 
And this is what confused me very much when I, I lived in Bangkok before ordaining, was meeting the expatriate Buddhists that existed in 1966 in that city. <clears throat> there were so many views, opinions about how to practice. And then reading Visuddhimagga, uh, they have a very definite form to follow. And uh, so these forms, these conventions, these views and opinions began to just uh, confuse me. So the, um, I'm you know, just trying to repeat, I mean, some, some of the lay people, Western lay people in Bangkok time talk about who has the jhanas, who has first jhana, or someone who's really good has fourth jhana, and, and the jhanas become a kind of obsession of some kind of attainment that you have to get in order to do vipassana. So I, uh, you know, I found my whole practice was intensely self-motivated to try to get something that I imagine like jhanas, completely foreign word, new idea put into my mind. And, uh, and then with very, various views and opinions about attainment, achievement, uh, and then sometimes I'd have a good meditation, I felt like I achieved something, and then I would, my mind, the next day my mind would wander all over the place and I feel that was a bad meditation, I can't do it and uh, all kinds of doubts when you start thinking and, and holding up goals and images, conventions to achieve, and then inevitably you're going to, you know, in trying to become something you're not, try to get something you don't have. So trying to get something you don't have at the present moment, at least you think you don't have, is, is uh, is a desire to, you know, that you create out of ignorance. It's always based on ignorance or of icha, ignorance of the way it is. So with Lung Po Cha, the emphasis was on the way it is, is the breath is like this. So this made much more sense because one could, just the, the statement, the way it is, did not imply that I had to attain anything. You know, some kind of imagined goal of peace and tranquility that creates incredible desires for achievement into awareness of an inhalation is like this, an exhalation is like this. Which brought, which, brought me into the present moment, aware of the present moment. Right now the, the inhalation is like this and it, it could be long or short or pleasant or I began to just use the breath as a way of concentrating the mind without the idea of achievement and attainment operating subconsciously or even consciously in my practice, so the practice wasn't motivated by the, the ideal of attainment and achievement. 
So this is a relaxed practice because if you're trying to get rid of a wandering mind, get rid of negative thoughts, get rid of a, all kinds of mental, emotional suffering because you don't want it, and uh, you know you're trying to, you're struggling, fighting, uh, contending with conditions that you're uh, that are happening to you here and now. And sometimes you can win, sometimes you can't win. And even when you do win, you start identifying with winning, you know, like I've really had a good meditation, I love meditation, and then it can change to its opposite. So Lung Pa Cha's wisdom, he'd say, good meditation is good, bad meditation is good. So it's like being aware if your mind is is like the monkey mind, a desultory movement of thoughts and unpleasant memories and fears and desires, it's like this. Or when it's peaceful and calm, it's like this. Notice that it's non-judgmental. It's not about finding peace, becoming a peaceful person, getting jhanas, getting samadhi, attaining enlightenment, all these, these kind of perceptions are built on the ego, the sense of a separate self. Where there's nothing to brag about, just like well, my inhalation is like this. And each one of you sitting here in the temple at this moment, you're, is everybody's inhalation the same, or we don't know? Doesn't matter. Doesn't. It's aware of uh, whose inhalation is the best, or who has the worst inhalation becomes absurd. Doesn't becomes ridiculous. So this is the wisdom operating in the present moment, because breathing is happening right now. It's not about whether it's good breathing or bad breathing, right breathing or wrong breathing, whatever, even if you're short of breath, even if you have a asthma or a difficult breathing problems, it's like this. It's not about that somebody who has difficult problems around breathing can't be aware of it as it is right now. It's like this, rather than trying to to get rid of the problem by resisting or fighting it. So then this sense of relaxation, the effort used to be just aware of one inhalation is like this, you don't have to strain yourself to do it. It's just kind of observe the witness, the puto, the witness of the inhalation is like this. Exhalation is like this. So when we talk about right effort or effort that you use, you know, if you're trying to attain jhanas, and and out of the out of ignorance and sakyaditi the ego the self view, 
we, we oftentimes put a lot of effort in trying to, to get rid of things, control things, make things different than what they are right now. Even sometimes when you're sitting and even one inhalation or exhalation, you, your mind wanders, but you're, you're aware. Even if your mind wanders, there's a point where you're aware of the, you're off thinking about something else, so you go back to, if you're practicing on a panasati, you go back to the breathing as it is here in the present moment. So effort and concentration come to balance themselves with the right understanding. In the, when I started meditation as a layman in Bangkok at Wat Mahathat, they used the Mahasi Sayadaw method, the Burmese method. Tanjo Kun Chodok, who was quite famous at the time, who established uh, Wat Puttapatip here in London, was the teacher. And of course, the method was, was a very stylized technique. And, you know, they, they really encourage this technique. <clears throat> and, uh, of course, the technique worked fairly well just for an hour's meditation practice every day. You could slow down all your movements. But when you had to go to work or go back to your flat or whatever, you you know, you can't walk that slow and be aware of every movement of your feet and hands at the same time. So, uh, you know, it seemed, you know, at the time, like a, a, a good method for concentration, for intense concentration, which I like. But when I ordained as a Samanera in Nongkai, you know, where I had all day, all night, to do this practice, I found out I couldn't do it. That uh, there was too many, too, too much unresolved emotions coming up that I would try to repress, try to push away, deny, resist. These kind of words convey this sense of vipavadana, desire to resist, to destroy, to get rid of what you don't like. And then because the method was so praised and so effective in some ways, it, uh, it you know, it one felt one had to do it to, to become enlightened. Then there were other teachers who taught, you know, the Burmese method is rise and fall of the abdomen, and others said you can't, that isn't any good, you have to notice the f feeling of the air at the tip of the nose, 
And so there were various opinions about nose or abdomen, which is right or which is best. what mantras to use. And so on the form of tradition, technique, conventions, just point out there's nothing wrong with these conventions or techniques. But they are only that, you know, and the whole point of Anapanasati, the basic value of it is established awareness here and now in the present is like this something so basic, so simple, so uncomplicated that anyone can do it. But the problem is it's so simple that our complicated neurotic personalities can't, can't figure out what the point of it is. It's too easy. We're expecting Buddhist meditation to become much more kind of complicated and difficult and challenging. Then in uh, Lung Po Cha, I emphasized the mantra Puto, the name of the Buddha, Puto, and uh, as a witness, using a word one word to use rather than let the mind wander with all kinds of other thoughts or other words. Well, this I found very effective because, you know, the, the thinking mind proliferates endlessly going on in various patterns of grammar and habit that, that we acquire in our lifetime. So then, uh, Lumpur try encourage the use of Bhutto as a as the, the kind of witnessing posture of witnessing and using it in terms of anapanasati, the inhaling put and exhaling toe. So it keeps the mind with the you know, this one word just on the inhalation put with the inhalation from beginning to end and told from the beginning of the exhalation to the end of it. So it's the, these techniques, you know, that we can use if we find them helpful. I found that that my mind was so, such a proliferating, had so many proliferating habits, such obsessions with thoughts. I loved thinking, reason and logic, trying to figure everything out, trying to make sense and try to find reasons and solutions to problems and so forth. And, and trying to figure out Buddhism and, and uh, you know, what, what, what the point of the Buddhist teaching is, trying to proliferate around it, enjoying reading about it. But with all the literature I read about Buddhism in general, 
you know, it didn't, you know, I, it inspired the mind. I felt inspired by what I read, but it didn't change anything. My proliferating habits were just doing that with Buddhist words, Buddhist concepts, which created doubt. Because then there's the Mahayana, Hinayana, Theravada, Vajrayana controversies that reign among, especially among Western Buddhists, and uh, which, which is the, you know, is Theravada really Hinayana, or is it the original pure form of Buddhism, and what about Mahayana, and then the Tibetan, and then various teachers have various opinions about these different categories. So this is all conceptual proliferation. In Pali, they use the word papancha. So this papancha, these proliferating thoughts, you know, were, was uh, trying to, to stop it, you know, and, and using puto. I found I couldn't even do puto with the breath. So I had to use Puto just as a mantra, using this one word to stop the proliferating tendencies, habit tendencies that I'd acquired. And so just using the mantra Puto as a kind of, as seeing if I could uh, use it in a very speedy way. Think of it in a very fast way, Puto, 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 just so I wouldn't allow the mind to proliferate into any other word. Well, that was very helpful because I found after a few times with just uh, obsessing with puto endlessly, I could calm down. Eventually, I could use puto with the inhalation, exhalation. Then the Expanding puto into, with wisdom, into vipassana, is puto is, is the witness position, the observer. So it's not the critic. Puto is not you, your own personal critical mind, talking about right and wrong, good or bad. And whether you're a good meditator or you can't do it, or what you should get or get rid of or change or develop or achieve or give up or whatever. That's the inner critic that we have, the thinking mind, the proliferating mind, the conditioned mind, very dualistic, right and wrong, good and bad, are obsessions of people's minds. So the witness, puto, as a witness, is not about right and wrong. It's about the way it is. So you use this, this one simple word, two-syllable word, to, to think, you know, to stop the proliferating thinking habits. And at first, you know, I had to use it quite obsessively, very quite, but, uh, you know, I found it worked quite well, just thinking puto in a very re repetitive, rapid way. 
and I began to notice I could slow down. I had moments of silence, of peace. And eventually, I could use it with the breath, the inhalation, put, exhalation, to. Now this leads to tranquility, because as you concentrate on the breath, you, you know, you're, you're one-pointed on something that is, uh, isn't proliferating. The breath is, is, isn't a thought, isn't a concept, isn't an opinion. It's a function of the body in the present moment that we all have. So you give up thinking, proliferating, and then stop, you stop doubting, Worrying, anxiety, all come from thinking too much. You know, people's problems in modern life are because they think too much. And the more you think, the more you doubt. So the thinking process is a gift we have as human beings, but also is a curse because it drives us bonkers. We go crazy with our thoughts. They can take us anywhere. And then the critical mind is an acquired habit. It's a convention. You know, like a newborn baby isn't born with a critical mental habits yet, it's conscious, fully conscious human form, innocent, because it hasn't acquired an ego yet, it hasn't acquired a language, it doesn't remember, its memories are very limited. So Anapanasati then is much more relaxed and restful and can take you to tranquility where you have moments of bliss or pleasant feeling of peace. But then if we depend on Anapanasati for our bliss, then we become very much uh, habituated to condition, to particular postures of meditation or situations where the, there's least distraction and everything has to be, the silence here in the temple, where in the common room or anything else you can't get that kind of tranquility. If you come to the temple, you have to stop working and sit down and concentrate on the breath. So. We become obsessed with meditation as a as a technique, and uh, and also the conditions that we associate with it, such as uh, group meditations or peaceful conditions, lack of noise, lack of of irritating uh, personal relationships. So we become very much addicted to peace and tranquility. But when we 
important thing with Anapanasati is calming the, the proliferating mind, stopping its incessant proliferating habits. Another suggestion is the sound of silence because it's here and now. So the Anapanasati, the sound of silence, I found work together very well. I found out just when I started connecting inhalation with silence, very powerful, the exhalation with silence. Because breathing is what we're doing right now, sound of silence is here and now. So liberation is about here and now, pachubanatama, santidiko akaliko dhamma. Consciousness is a big subject at this time in modern societies because nobody knows quite what it is. And yet it's a fact. The one fact we can depend on, each one of us know consciousness is like this. We're we are conscious at this moment. Breathing is like this. You're aware of an inhalation. Puto is like this. Sound of silence is like this. It's not about right and wrong anymore, or whether you're a good meditator or you can't do it. So many people I've met in my life have told me they can't meditate. And uh, I remember Lung Pa Cha, usually with his clever mind, would say, you have time to eat, don't you? And they say, oh yes. <laughs> and meditation is, is not something difficult. But if you see that, that you have that if you think of terms of meditation as, as these various techniques or what you hear from others about what is good and right meditation and what is wrong, then you're just caught in the proliferating tendencies of the thinking mind, you're caught in doubt and worry. And, and there's no end to that because the self, the sense of a separate self is supported by all these thoughts, these proliferating habits. I mean, you identify with your body as yourself. So this is why the world is the way it is, because each individual human being is strongly identified with their physical form, which is a very impermanent, unsatisfactory form to be identified with. Because all it, you know, it needs to rest, it needs to eat, needs to uh, survive the weather and, and 
the dangers uh, that exist in the world around us. <clears throat> so the human birth, is it a blessing or a curse? Is it a kind of purgatory or is it a, a, some a great gift that we've been given to be born as human beings? So you consider it one way or the other, sometimes it changes. I used to consider it a curse. I could never figure out before I started meditating what the point of my life was to be because it seemed so pointless, so meaningless in kind of personal terms just to grow up, get old, get sick and die, spend my life eating and sleeping, surviving in, in a, in a very fragile form such as the human body. Or the more optimistic view of it's a great blessing to have human birth is one more pleasant way of thinking. But the result of birth is like this at this moment. You know, at my age, It's not about birth anymore or death. It's about here and now, which is peaceful. The breath is like this. The silence is like this. The body is like this. And is that a blessing or a curse? I, it's not personal anymore. It's not that I've been blessed with a human birth. I've been chosen by God to, to uh, have a human form to get enlightened with. That is still kind of positive way of looking, but it's still sakyaditi, it's still a thinking process about I'm a special, especially gifted person. So the ordinariness of Anapanasati What's more ordinary, common than an inhalation and exhalation? Wherever you are, whether it's noisy, you're in conflict with somebody else in the Sangha, the weather's cold or too hot, the body still breathes. So it's learning to awaken to the here and now through these simple suggestions of puto, inhaling, exhaling, witnessing. Puto is a witness that's like this. So puto can be used strictly as a mantra, as a technique for inhaling, exhaling, to stop the mind from wandering, and stop from proliferating. But also, as significant as, as the Buddha, what is the Buddha here and now? Is Buddha just a, a word about somebody who was enlightened 2,564 years ago. That's one way of looking at it. That's the historical view. But history is all memory and words. 
You know, it says not to be trusted. What we remember is history. We've been taught history in school. We've read about the life of the Buddha from a book, from the words in a book, from a teacher. So the, the witness, the puto, the, the real Buddha is witnessing the present moment is like this. So we're taking refuge in Buddha. This mindfulness practice isn't about becoming me, becoming a Buddha, because that is very sakyaditi, very egotistical. I think I'm specially chosen to become the Buddha. That's conceptual proliferations. But it's much more functional. The Buddha is witnessing, knows the here and now is like this. So Buddha, consciousness, Dhamma, they take refuge in Dhamma, apparent here and now, is like this. Consciousness, we're all experiencing consciousness, breathing. We use a technique, puto, we reflect on the way it is. So Dhamma is perfect. Dhamma is not about right and wrong anymore or, or uh, good and bad. It's, uh, you know, it's, Dhamma is perfect. So this is to realize our true nature is already perfect. When we take refuge in Buddha or awareness of the way it is here and now, of Dhamma, the changing conditions of the Dhammas, Kusala Dhamma, Kusala Dhamma, Apiyakata, Tama, the changing conditions, the Sankharas that have all kinds of qualities of right and wrong, good and bad, pleasant, painful. But we're not taking refuge in Kusala Dhamma, but in Dhamma, Dhammang Saranangatami. So it's much more here and now. Dhamma is perfect. Otherwise, we're bound to live in, in, a, in become cynics because the Sankaras are all imperfect. They're all changing. Nothing's permanently good or permanently bad. Birth is something that begins and death is the end of a sankhara. So these words, Buddha and Dhamma, you know, in the scriptures, Buddha knows Dhamma the way it is. The reality of consciousness here and now, not about attaining specially advanced conscious states in the future, 
or becoming something else, becoming a better person in the future, you can become a better person in the future, you know. So we go to psychotherapists or develop positive thinking, keep the moral precepts, be generous, compassionate, is becoming a better person. But a person is still a sankhara, a limited form. So how can we get beyond the personal? And that's through this awareness of Dhamma, the consciousness here and now, uh, inhalation, exhalation, puto. The body is here and now, it's like this. The feelings, <clears throat> physical pleasure, pain is like this. Emotional, positive feelings of happiness, emotional happiness or emotional pain is like this. It's witnessing, isn't it? If you're upset, depressed, caught in doubt and despair, these are actually important experiences as human beings because as in terms of the ignorant state of mind, it's, it's all going to end up in death. We're all going to die. These forms are all going to die. The planet itself is under threat. The universal system, if we depend upon, you know, sankharas, for feeling stable and safe, you know, we're disappointed because they, they, you're asking them to be something they're not. But something you are already is conscious awareness here and now, which is not personal. It's not the ego. The ego you create with thoughts, with memories, with habits. So this sense of me and mine, me being this physical body, me being this personality, is, is a self-created state, you know, it's, a, it's all sankaras, every bit of it. And as long as I operate from the personal position, then I suffer. Because I'm attaching, I'm clinging to the very disappointing conditions that I want to be permanently stable and fulfilling, expecting life as a sankara to be a fulfilling experience as a separate person. So this remaining week of the Vasa, I think, is a communal effort in meditation. This is a chance to support each other this time, 
One thing about communal meetings and communal meditations is there's a sense of support from everyone uh, that's involved. And just these simple <clears throat> suggestions, you know, it's emphasizing the relaxed position of, of Puto, the observer, when you know you're getting a headache or you're stressed out or something going wrong because you're applying too much effort. If you're just sleepy and dull, then you try to get rid of sleepiness and dullness through putting a lot of effort, trying to get rid of sleepiness, dullness. But if we're aware that sleepiness is like this, we're, we're, we're not like condemning it, trying to get rid of it, but using sleepiness or dullness as an object to, to witness to. Puto is aware. Sleepiness is like this. It's not personal anymore. <clears throat> well, we take it very personally. I'm, I fall asleep as soon as I sit down in meditation or how do I get rid of tinamita or sleepiness? You know, is a common question you get in meditation retreats. Dullness. We want to have a clear mind, a kind of sharp sense of here and now, a peaceful state. And a dull mind is, is a boring mind, is, is, is something we don't like. But it's also a teaching us that it is a sankhara. And patient, being patient with the sankharas, not trying to, to get rid of them because that's a lack of patience. Trying to control, trying to make everything, control everything so that you have a perfect meditation. It's making meditation into another kind of suffering experience. You're going to hate anything that gets in your way, anyone who irritates you, anyone who coughs or sneezes or rustles their clothes or slams a door becomes some obstruction to your samadhi. So the sakyaditi, you know, gets very averse, angry, critical of others who interfere, who disrupt your samadhi. So is meditation, you know, is it really effective if it's making us more critical and, you know, obsessed with tranquility? Because is this worldly life that we live, this planetary experience of a human form on planet Earth, it's not about tranquility, it's about change, about storms, hurricanes, rain, autumn changing to winter. <clears throat> about success and failure and praise and blame. The world is all, you know, in this con incessant, inexorable changingness 
That's the very nature of samsara, conditioned phenomena. It can only be that way. Attempts to make samsara nibbana are impossible. So here at Amarvati, to use the situation the way you are, you know, you know, your own character tendencies, habit tendencies are all different from one individual samana to the next. But in group practice, it's a sense of supporting each other. Sitting together, walking together in these various uh, techniques we use, suggestions we use, uh, help to help us to <clears throat> feel a sense of communal uh, support which we appreciate. We always feel the Sangha is, is a Sangha of friends, of family, And it's nice to have a, a family you can, who is supportive of all our individual attempts to realize our true nature, the perfection of Dhamma. So this Dhamma, you know, what is perfect? And then we look around, look at my eyes, my, uh, you know, my ears, my body, it's all falling apart, degenerating into increasing old age, it's like this. So I can't expect my body to be other than the way it is. This is what it's like at these many years. And it's the body, it's not, it's not mine, it's not me. It's Sankara. Just like the changing that's going on in the seasons as autumn takes hold of the plants, the vegetation we live with in Amarvati. So is it good or bad, or is it just the way it is? You know, we can form personal opinions about, I like springtime better than autumn, or summer better than winter. These are personal preferences. So, you know, trying to encourage you to use the tradition, Theravada Buddhism, with wisdom. Rather than just becoming a Theravadan Buddhist, you know, as some kind of personal identification, But these, the teachings of the Buddha are, you know, to help us break through our delusions, our habit patterns, <clears throat> our sense of imperfection, our sense of being wrong or not good enough, or identity with the, 
with the appearance, with the gender, with the color of the skin, with the age of the body. All these are forms of suffering when we attach to these as our identity. So when we take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, these are not just empty words or ceremonial ceremonies that we acquire in this tradition, but they can be very useful reflections. Like Puto is a very useful reflection for the witnessing, the awareness of the way it's like this right now. So when I ask you, any one of you, single you out and say, are you conscious? You, you're going to say yes. How do you know that? Do you have to ask someone else whether you're conscious or not, or think about it? You know, it's apparent here and now. Consciousness is, is obvious. It's a fact that you can't deny at this moment. The breathing is here and now. Are you breathing? Is everyone here in the temple breathing at this time? Sound of silence. Do you create it or is it, it's not a nimitta or a creation. It's here and now. Conscious awareness here and now. Breathing of the body. The posture of the body is like this. The sitting posture is like this. Standing, walking, lying down. It's this continuous reflection on the way it is that we find, we, get, we let go of the habit patterns, the conditioned habits, the sakyaditi, the ego habit patterns we've developed, the cultural biases, cultural preferences, religious uh, identities, all the identities that we are conditioned to believe in, they're merely conventions, empty conventions, rather than personal attachments. So I hope that this encourages you to, during this next week, to increase your faith and wisdom and realize the true nature of yourself. Mm -hmm.